A word this morning to the boys and girls and to all God's children. Maybe the older ones especially will recognize this. I don't know how many boys and girls golf, but I suppose some do. I don't, but I borrowed a putter. Because I already know that one thing you have to do if you're going to be good with this is find a place to practice. To find a green where you can drop the ball and learn how to hit it in such a way that the ball goes in the hole, wherever that hole may be. I told somebody this week, I don't golf, but I went with someone who does and who is going to teach me how to do it. And on the first hole, we had to wait for the party ahead of us. And the man took a shot and took the club and threw it in a tree. And I said, I'm not sure I want to engage in this sport. I know another man who likes it so much that he built a retirement home for himself and in the backyard, most of it is a professionally designed and kept putting green. So he can practice as often as he wants right in his own yard. Practicing how to do this is what makes you good at it, keeps you going with it, and makes you better at it. And that made me think not only of golf or whatever sport it might be that you have to practice at, but all the other things to keep working on. And working on them is what we call persistence. It could be being obedient. Try a little harder. Could be being polite. Try a little harder. Keep trying. Could be learning how to paint pictures or rooms. Keep trying. In fact, the Bible says, don't get tired of doing good things. Don't get tired of obeying God. Don't get tired of living for God. Don't get tired of doing what he says. Keep practicing what he tells us. You won't start out perfect. You won't even end up perfect, but you'll end up better. And that's the message, really, that we hear from his word this morning in just a few minutes, is keep at it, work on it, stick with it, persist. If you can be a better putter by practicing, you can be a better Christian by practicing too. Three passages of scripture this morning, very short ones, that introduce us to someone who somewhere along the line, for some reason or other, quit trying. His name is Demas. And I'm going to read these three passages, which are all at the conclusion of some of Paul's letters, and mention a number of people with whom Paul worked. Among them, in each case, a guy by the name of Demas. I will be reading them in chronological order, not in the order you find them in the Bible, 
So I'll give you page numbers too if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible. The first is Philemon, a single chapter letter. You'll find it on page 967 in the Pew Bibles, just two verses near the end. Paul writes, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Then near the end of the letter of Paul to the church in Colossae, chapter 4, verses 10 through 17, which you will find on page 956, he writes these words, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the other brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. And then some concluding words in the second letter of Paul to Timothy, chapter 4, at verse 9, page 965. Titled in the NIV, Personal Remarks. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me great harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. C.S. Lewis once wrote in a book entitled God in the Dock, 
by which he meant God on the witness stand in a courtroom, when grave persons express their fear that England is relapsing into paganism, I am tempted to reply, would that she were. By that, C.S. Lewis meant, he thought it would be easier to reach an outright pagan with the claims of the gospel and the message of Christ than to try to talk with someone who had dabbled in Christianity and abandoned it, finding it wanting. And then Lewis said there are really two kinds of faith, which he named Faith A and Faith B. Faith A is the kind that gives intellectual assent to the reality of God and the gospel, the word. Faith B, he said, is a trust or a confidence in the God whose existence is assented to. And the distance from A to B is the distance from knowledge to belief. From your head to your heart. And that is not an insignificant thing to talk about. This morning, I want to introduce you to a young man somewhere between A and B, but leaning farther towards A than B. And maybe if we spend just a few minutes visiting with him, we'll be able to get our priorities more straight and maybe even set the stage for what could be called a world tour and you. <coughs> Demas. His name is only mentioned three times in Scripture. You heard everything there is to hear about Demas in the Bible this morning. And there seems to be a progress in what we learn about him. Maybe I should put that differently. There seems to be a regress in what we learn about him. In Philemon, Demas is listed with Mark and Aristarchus and Luke and called one of my fellow workers. In Colossians, a whole lot of people are mentioned and a lot of things are said about all of them. And right in the middle is just plain Demas. And by the time we get to 2 Timothy 4, it's quite a different picture. Demas is a Greek. His name proves that. And that means he is almost certainly a convert to Christianity. Clarence McCartney, who was for many years, early in the 20th century, the preacher at First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, once preached a sermon about Demas in which he imagined the day Demas came home and said to his family, today I became a Christian. And he indicated in that sermon what the cost was to Demas, what the commitment must have been, what the dedication must have been, what the price must have been that Demas had to pay to make that choice, and how heavy the cross was he had to bear. McCartney imagined Demas's dad crying when he heard the news and saying, 
Demas has forsaken us. Demas has abandoned his father, his mother, his brother, his sister. He has forsaken the gods. Demas has become a Christian, a follower of the despised, crucified one, a disciple of that wild agitator Paul, who was driven out of Thessalonica the last Ides of March. Whatever the details, whatever the specifics, Demas had made a commitment that could well have cost him his life and had said he would carry the cross, however heavy it was, to follow. And follow he had. He was not just someone who accepted the gospel, he accompanied Paul. He went to Rome, not once, but twice, where it was dangerous to be a Christian where Christianity was not assumed and expected, where Christianity was not a status symbol, where commitment to Jesus Christ was a matter of life and death, where faith was not easy, not expected, and not assumed, where society around him was not tinged, at least, with Christianity, and where Christians quite literally, stuck out. The letters to Philemon and the Colossian Christians show Demas in company with the Christian greats. He was on the executive team. He was out on the cutting edge. He was on the field. He was in the mission. He was a fellow worker, not just a friend. That means he worked for Paul, he worked with Paul, he was involved in outreach, he was committed to the church, he was energized by the church, he wanted to spread the news of the church. Clarence McCartney, that preacher in Pittsburgh, said, had this been all we knew about him, Demas would have been a name for young men's leagues, stained glass windows, and marble sculptures would have been inscribed to him. Churches would have been named the Church of St. Demas. The tiny, almost incidental mentions of Demas' name tell a story, the story that could be called the rise and call of Demas. And up to that point, at least, the story is great. But something happened, somehow, at some point, this same Demas, who would lose all for the cause, let go of the cause. And his faith story has three chapters. Demas, my fellow worker, just plain Demas, and Demas, who loved the world and deserted me, says Paul. William Barclay, the commentator, described these three texts as the faint outlines of a study in degeneration, of the loss of enthusiasm and ideals of failure in the faith. A complete study of all we know about Demas, which you heard this morning, seems to be a study in degeneration. Let's recognize that by the time we hear about him in Philemon, 
and Colossians were talking about a young man who is somewhere between faith A and faith B, but leaning heavily and moving closer to faith A. Mere knowledge, head knowledge about God and the gospel, and not faith and belief. We don't know that Demas lost all of his faith. He just fell in love with the world, Paul said. And for Paul, the world is not just what's out there, the created order out there, or a comfortable little house in the suburbs with a picket fence around it and a a good job and a pleasant life and a loving family. The world is all that's opposed to God. The world is all that is hostile to God. The world is all that is alien to God. The world is where it is desired to be away from God. And whatever that is and wherever that is, Demas fell in love with that. He felt the pull of it. He sensed the attraction of it. He felt the lure from it. And for a long time, he felt it sucking the life out of his faith, a faith he was once willing to die for, leaving it just anemic and weak. And then he woke up one day and he said, I think I've just been dating God. I never really fell in love with him. I never really made a commitment to him. And while I know what it's like to be infatuated with God, I'm done. Not necessarily hating God, but loving the world more. And Demas deserted Paul. Demas' disinterest in the church led to his disaffection with the church, and that led to his departing from the church. And it shows you can only be lukewarm and disenchanted for so long before something snaps. And Demas decided it was no use pretending any longer. He really didn't care that much about the church or the Christ. He was more interested in himself and his own needs and his own desires and his own preferences and his own safety and his own happiness and his own pleasure. So off he goes to Thessalonica. Maybe that's where he was from. Maybe that's where his family lived. Maybe that's where his dad had a business. Maybe that's where he could earn some money. Maybe that's where he could feel some power. Maybe that's where his friends resided. Maybe that's where he felt he could have fun. We don't really know. He just fell out of love with Jesus and fell into love with the world. And we leave him somewhere between faith A and faith B, but getting even closer now to A, a head knowledge of what it's all about without a heart commitment to it. What do you suppose it was that made Demas love the world and desert not just Paul, but the gospel? What do you suppose pulled him away from church, pulled him away from Paul, pulled him away from the mission, pulled him away from Jesus? We don't know. It doesn't say. 
And that means God has left before us the question, what do you suppose it could be that threatens to do the same to you? Maybe for Demas, it was ultimately danger. Maybe he just got tired of the risks, the hardships of travel in the world, and and the risks he took when he approached a hostile population, a pagan population, and said, I want to tell you about Jesus. Maybe he just got tired of the cost of being a Christian. Maybe he wanted something with less stress, less commitment. Maybe, like some of us, he rationalized for himself an easier form of Christianity that didn't demand as much from him. And maybe Demas and some of his 21st century cousins need to pray for courage. Maybe it was shame. Demas didn't have television. Demas didn't have movies. Demas didn't have popular novels. Demas didn't have magazines and periodicals to read while he traveled. But maybe he just got tired of Christians being the brunt of jokes and laughed at and mocked and ridiculed and always portrayed as the weaker and the sort of of out-of-it people who didn't really know what reality was. Maybe he got sick of sticking out and being so obvious. Maybe he was embarrassed by always feeling like he had to try a little harder and to live up to some standard that the rest of the world either didn't know about or didn't care about and didn't even try to live up to. And maybe Demas and some of his 21st century cousins need to pray for boldness. Maybe it was some secret passion, some insatiable hunger and desire and want that resided within him and he tried to push it down and keep the lid on until one day it blew. We've seen it. We Christians, even, and some of the popular television evangelists who lived two lives, one they didn't want us to know about, until that one popped out one day and couldn't be denied anymore. Maybe it was that. Maybe it was some other hunger, some other thirst. Maybe you're acquainted with something. And maybe Demas, some of his 21st century cousins, needed to pray for self-control. Maybe Demas was drawn away by business. The lure of all that he had left behind in order to follow Paul and follow the mission and follow the Lord. Maybe it was his desire just to be a little more like others, to live like they did, to have what they had, to earn what they earned, to go where they went, to be who they were. And the knowledge he had that he could do all that if he just wanted to and decided to, and apparently he did, Maybe Demas and some of his 21st century cousins 
needed to pray for a reprioritization of values. Maybe Demas loved his family too much. You know the feeling? I mean, he loved them so much he couldn't quite bring himself not to hate them, but to love them a little less than Jesus. Maybe he got so wrapped up and involved in their lives and their interests and their concerns and his concerns for them that he didn't even realize until he got there that he loved them more and cared more about them and was more interested in them than he was in the Lord. And maybe he and some of his 21st century cousins needed to ask God what was most important. And it occurs to me that it's even possible that Demas had a first century COVID-19-like experience. I don't mean a pandemic. I don't mean a disease. I don't mean a virus. I don't mean a flu. I mean a circumstance, a situation, a decision, an event that cut him off from his support group, cut him off from his people, cut him off from those who rallied around him and tried to build up and encourage and strengthen his Christian commitment, cut him off from the privilege of worship with lots and lots of people he knew and loved and cared about, cut him off from any sense of real enthusiasm until one day he thought to himself, this is a lot easier than the other kind. And he started to like it. And eventually he followed it. And maybe Demas and some of his 21st century cousins need to pray for a fresh wind of the Spirit. Demas loved this world and deserted Paul. And the last we see him, he's still on the continuum somewhere between faith A and faith B, but way over towards A now. His head still knew it, but his heart no longer was committed to it. And he was no longer taking the time to develop what he had once devoted his life and his being to. The same way we said we did when we became Christians. We need what an 18th century preacher by the name of Thomas Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. We need a love for Jesus that is stronger than anything we've ever experienced, that is encouraged in us by one another, that is built up by the presence of his spirit in our lives, that finds us getting stronger and more powerful and more committed and more concerned and more involved than ever before. And that can help us combat always the lure of love for this world. Demas is short for Demetrius. Interestingly enough, there is a Demetrius named later on in Scripture in 3 John 12, where John wrote, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. Is it possible that 2 Timothy 4.10, where Demas 
because he loved the world, deserted Paul. It's only the middle of the story, that the end of the story is that he came back. He was well spoken of. He retrieved his faith and grew in it. Is it possible? It's possible. We just don't know. And now it's too late to talk about whether Demas, the fellow worker, just plain Demas, and Demas, the deserter, ever really did become a full-fledged Christian. But it's not too late for you. Not too late to have a love that surpasses all other loves, all other desires, all other commitments. If you can say with Paul what Paul said at the end of his correspondence with Timothy, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, will you please come powerfully in us. Work your wonderful work in us. Make us strong. Make us excited. Give us the expulsive power of a new or renewed affection. Help us to have as our model for love your love for us. And help us to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. For Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and receive God's blessing before you engage together in song? When you leave, go in peace, and may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times and in all places. The Lord be with you all. Amen.